welcome to Anecdotally Speaking, episode three. We hey. made it, episode three. I'm Sean Callahan. This is my great friend and business partner, Mark Schenk. And, hey, everybody. And, and I guess we're here again to talk about this whole area of business storytelling. I mean, why are we here, Mark? What's, what's the real core purpose for this podcast? The reason we're doing it is because we know people are natural storytellers, but we're not making much of that in business. We know it's hard. And so the idea of the podcast is to give people uh, stories to put in their pockets, to fill their story banks, but also to talk about why those stories work and how you can use them in a business context. Yeah, it's so vital. You sort of need to have those stories off the cuff, don't you? You know. Yeah, there's nothing like just having, in the spur of the moment, somebody says something that you disagree with and you have an example Yeah. that illustrates a different way of thinking. Just the amount of times that that is valuable, uh, tremendous. You can use it every day. Yeah. So one of the things that, because this podcast is all about sharing stories and get into the detail of why they work, etc. But one of the things that will come up very quickly is... So how do you keep track of all these stories? How do you have a place you can go to to sort of go through and sort of say, yeah, that's a that's a story I've got to remember or I'm going to tell this afternoon or in a big presentation I'm going to give, you know, I want to have a good connection story. How do I go about doing that? And we, we call these story banks. And, and I guess what I'd love to do now, Mark and I, just talk about some of the experiences we've had with building story banks, what works, what doesn't work. What's your, if you were to give three key things that you or what what do you think it is and you know what I'd, I'd rather just start with the concept yeah right because i think the concept's important because I, a number of people go oh yes I, you know i've got a good memory i don't need to in fact i was running our storytelling for sales program in in arizona uh, yeah. just before christmas talking about the story bank and one of the participants goes i don't need that but even though we live in the world of story having a story bank for me personally i find it incredibly useful and an analogy Yep. When I was when I was a young guy in the Air Force, I was renowned for my repertoire of jokes. Monty Python, in particular. Oh well, yes, I can recite most episodes of Monty Python uh, without <laughs> uh, without notes. When I joined the Air Force, you know, I was eighteen years old and just a, a young guy, and there was just so many jokes. Fine, I just started making notes. Right, you don't have to make. I didn't have to make many notes. You know, the joke about the priest who played golf. Right? Yeah, that's all I needed. But what happened is I had this little notebook. And over time, I was just, I had like hundreds of jokes. So you and gotta, I would, you know, like you'd, just before I'd go out to the bar or, you know, out to a party or something, I'd just flick through and oh, yeah, look at all those jokes. And suddenly, uh, I've got this repertoire of jokes. And, but look, you ask me now to tell you a joke. Yep. I'm struggling. Yeah. Anyway, the idea of a story bank is it relieves you of the obligation of carrying them in your head yeah. and it gives you a way of both searching and browsing for inspiration. So that notebook was your story bank. That was, that was my joke bank. Yeah. 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 And so uh, now, well, I know both of us, we have a story bank and it's invaluable. I, I love it. Yeah. So what do you reckon? What are some of the things you need to do or some of the systems we use? How about we just start with systems? Systems. Right. Yeah. Of course, you know, we've already heard the first system, which is the very basic Get a notebook. Old write school. It out. Old school. You get the moleskin to start writing out the, the stories. But here's the thing, and I think this is the lesson we've learned just over years of practice. It's really important not to write the whole story out, isn't it? Yeah. There's something weird that happens when you do that. Well, I'll tell you, for me, the first thing that happens when you try and write the story out in full, yep. I stop doing it because it's hard work. Yeah. For me, the idea is to just get them in there, get as many in as you possibly can and do it as regularly as you can. It's like an everyday experience. But if you try and write them out in full, well, that's a half an hour work. And quite frankly, I don't have it. And as we both know, we don't need it. Yeah. So the approach that we like to take is just having a few dot points. 
it's kind of ironic that dot points are the go-to yep. way to record stories, but we find that that's just enough to remind you of the key information you need, and and it's there to trigger your memory. That's really what it is. It's an aid memoir, so that you can sort of go, ah, yeah, I remember that, and you can tell that yep. story. And for some, you know, you might need a bit more information, but it can be as easy as just writing. Oh, and I have a note in my notebook, in my uh, story bank, 2007 bathroom story. Right. And the name of the guy who told it. Yeah. That's all I need. And bang. Those uh, things come they, to mind. Uh, I can tell you the entire story. Yeah. The entry in my story bank is the trigger to remember that story. Yeah. And it also, sorry, and when you, you know, I have it tagged. And that's another tip, right? Is if you tag your stories and make them searchable, you might have stories about leadership. Search on that tag and a whole bunch of stories about leadership come up. So that's sort of jumping to the next type of story bank or the next solution. We use um, Evernote as this, one of the main systems for just recording our stories. One of the reasons because it has that great searching mm-hmm. and tagging ability. We can go and look for stories on leadership or, our, or what's a connection story and the, the stories that we've tagged as connection stories. And so it enables us to drill down very quickly. One note is the Microsoft is the PC version Microsoft of version of um, it's fantastic. Yep. A lot of people love spreadsheets. Really? Yeah. Great. I think that's the key is you need a system that works for you. Yeah. Yeah. And something you're going to visit and actually have a look at, right? Yeah. Well, I guess the other thing that's worth just talking about here is how you title your uh, stories. You know, we, we have, a, I guess, a a tongue-in-cheek idea about this. It sort of stems from the fact that TV program Friends titles every episode essentially the same way. It's the one about or the one where, you know, the one about Joey goes to the fridge or the one where dot, 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 dot. And we find that for some reason, just that little phraseology just helps you get a title that's kind of meaningful. It has a few of the key elements in it, like the characters and and a few things that they're doing. In many cases, that's enough to actually um, trigger that story. Yep. And that's certainly a good approach. It's a great start point. Yep. Now, I don't have many of my stories in my story bank tagged or titled that way. Yep. As I say, I'll, I'll just have one called Bathroom Story. Yes. All that's required. Yes. But having a title, it's like a shorthand way of referring to it. That's right. One of the other things that I think is uh, useful to think about too is that there are certain things we have we have str- a struggle to remember, you know, in stories, right? So the things I find hard to remember are people's names. I'm like, <laughs> how hard do I find that sometimes? Dates, uh, locations, places, the, right? Yeah, the numbers, you know, like the 3 million uh, or 200,000 200, this or, or the 47 books. Exactly. Those and, are the sorts of things. Well, it was just like in episode two, I think it was, where, you know, the number of planes that were brought down. That's right. You know, I had 7,000 in my head. Well, the actual number was 4,000. And yeah. so, you know, to be, I guess, to have that authenticity, to have that reputation of getting it right, especially in business, you've got to have those numbers right. And so that's another reason for the story bank, just to get some of the details. Yeah, yeah, right? because the, the you know, as we say to people all the time, facts wrapped in context, delivered with emotion. That's what a story is. You've got to nail the facts. Yeah. And your credibility depends on it. For example, if somebody's telling the, the 9-11 story. Yes. Right, about the new uh, head of the Federal Aviation Authority. Yep. And so you're telling it to somebody, you say 7,000 uh, planes were in the air and they know it's 5,000. Yeah. Well, your credibility falls because they go, well, that's wrong. What else is wrong? That's it. So that's you've it. got to nail the facts. So that's yeah. one of the really important reasons you have a story bank. Yeah put that data in there. Yeah. 
Right. Anyway, that's uh, we just hope this is a, just enough information. If you go to the uh, the episode notes for today's episode, you'll sort of the show notes, as they call it in the podcasting world. I'm using the the language. You, you sound and, like a you know, pro. And if you go there, you'll have some of the links to some of those ideas and you know to, to Evernote, etc. Now let's let's move into the story for today, right? And I guess the story I wanted to share was triggered for me because recently I've been doing a lot of work with people in safety. Right. So I was up in Singapore doing some work with a big food company up there with their safety team and been doing some work with a construction company here in Melbourne. And again, the issue of safety. And this story actually has popped up a number of times. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's sort of telling me something, you know, that maybe I should tell it. And the story is about Alcoa, right? So they're the big aluminium smelter guys, American company, been around for, you know, more than 100 years. And in 1987, they got a new CEO, right? The company was struggling a little bit. They put in this new CEO and he has to give his first briefing to Wall Street. Fancy hotel down in Manhattan. The guy struts onto the stage. He's, you know, wearing a lovely uh, grey suit. You know, he's, uh, he's, uh, he has that CEO look about him. He's, you know, he's in early 50s, grey hair. Guy seems perfect for the part. Everyone's just ready for him to more or less say the normal things that CEOs say. But this fellow, a guy called Paul O'Neill, get it right? I got it right. Names are important. Paul O'Neill, he stands in front of everyone and says, today I'm going to talk about safety. Right? And you can imagine all these Wall Street types are going, safety? Isn't he going to be talking about profit and revenue increases and competition and all those sort of things? And he said, no, I'm going to talk about safety. And he spent the entire briefing talking about the importance of safety, the fact that they have a business that actually injures, sometimes kills their employees. And that his aim, his vision was to have no accidents whatsoever. And not once did he talk about the numbers or, the, you know, the operations or anything like that, he said today. So in, to the point where he even uh, gave instructions to all the people in the room where the exits were, how to get to the nearest places. Wow. You know, he sort of went through the whole thing. And you can imagine those guys, they'd be just going, what is going on? Apparently, some of the um, Wall Street brokers advised their clients to sell, right? Because well, this guy's off his tree, you know. Anyway, a year into his tenure as CEO, their revenue just jumped right up. They became super profitable. When he actually retired, and it was like 15 years later, he'd increased the value of the company by five times, right? If you had put a million dollars into that business at the beginning of his tenure, you would have got a million dollars of uh, distributions every, you know, through that period of time and five times the amount of money of your investment at the end. Not a bad investor, eh? Right. And, but here's the thing, it was all based on him focusing on one thing and all these other ripples went out to change things like the behaviors and the attitudes and the mindfulness of the people and processes got improved and the um, relationship with unions improved. The, there was all these other things that are going on. When I hear that story, I just think to myself, oh my God, that's such a instructful story, isn't it, in terms of helping people understand what to do. What springs to mind for you, you know, when you hear that, Mark? Well, for me, it, many things, but totally breaks the script. Yes, right. I can just, I can picture the bewildered faces of the brokers sitting there going, what is this guy talking about? Right, yeah. But also you know, the importance of focus. 
Indeed. And I think this focus one for me is also top of mind because I'm also doing this project where I'm helping them with their strategy. And the strategy, they've got so many moving parts to this strategy. I'm just thinking, how are you ever going to get your arms around this? And how is anyone going to understand it? We're helping them tell the story of their strategy, but they've got so many bits. Imagine doing the strategy story for Alcoa back then. Oh, I mean, yes, please. Just, wouldn't that be great? Just this one big thing that you're you're talking about. Of course, they're doing all the other things, but they're leading with that. They're saying, this is the big thing that's important. Yeah. We have to keys. deliver our operations well, Yeah, but the key plank of our strategy is safety. Yes. I should have mentioned, I've actually found that story. Originally, when I, when I came across it, it was actually in a book called Power of Habit by Charles Dewey. I must admit, I really, do, I really do love his work, right? He's a, he's a natural storyteller, that guy. You know, it's just one story after the next. So if you're looking for books which got a heap of great business stories, Charles Duhigg is definitely one of those. So one of the things that we, uh, that we like to do is to talk about why that story works. Yeah. yeah, what do you think? Well, firstly, you know, the breaking the script thing, the surprise of yes. the picture you painted of him, you know, the CEO you know, the CEO suit, 50-odd, all the air. You know, the expectation that he's going to be just like all the other CEOs. That's it. That's it. Yeah, and I think there's also something there about power. We're drawn to stories about people with power. And here we have a CEO who has certainly got that power, but he subverts it in some way. And I think that's uh, something we find fascinating. When you ever... I think that's why people love Richard Branson so much, right? Because he's a guy with power. He's got power over that company, but the way he operates it, it does things so differently. Yeah. Branson's kind of the opposite of what you expect. Power and approachability. Yes. In most cases, you know, the more senior you get, the, the less approachable you become. You know, yeah. power plus invulnerability. Yeah, yes, and distance. Lots of yeah. distance. <laughs> the power distance curve. Yeah. Actually, just, just a sidebar. Yesterday I was reading the paper and... Branson has just come out with a public letter to the UK because their railway business pulled from circulation on their trains a particular newspaper. I can't remember which one it was, but one of the sort of very popular newspapers. And it was made at the decision of the, of the railway company. I mean, Branson had no idea, had nothing to do with the decision. But I just loved the way he explained it. He sort of said, look, you know, this is what's happened. This is why it happened. Look, we weren't involved, but I, I really respect my people and the decisions they make. And But I can see how this has upset people. So I've gone back to them. And he's wording something along the lines of, and... I've recommended to them that they reconsider this, right? Well, which you know is code for they're going to do it. But to all those people who work on that railway, you can imagine they'd be sitting there going, this is a good guy. He's kind of with us. He's on our side, yeah. right? Yeah, I've asked them just to go back and review the process by which they made the decision. Yeah, just, yeah. Just, just to check that it's, you know, that they're absolutely certain that this is the right decision for our business. Anyway, we got sidetracked. Back to the story. <laughs> is there anything else in that story that we need to point out? It's a relatively short story, really. Um, which is good. Which is good. I think ideally a one to three minute story is, is really what you're after. You don't want to go too much longer than a three minute story. And when you start timing stories, one of the things that I notice a lot, I time people telling their stories. Yeah. It is amazing how much you can pack into three minutes. Yeah. When you're using a narrative approach. Yes. Um, of course, three minutes can seem like an eternity if you're just, oh, yes, well, no, we need to strategically reposition the organization to take advantage of emerging market, blah, 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 blah. Yes. That can seem like an eternity. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, three minutes is a, uh, is a is 90 seconds to three minutes. Like yeah. It's kind of the number I use. Yeah. 
I noticed on Oprah when she did her speech, both of her stories were one minute, you know, yep. which I thought, you know, really does. I mean, she's under, that's a big pressure gig, right, to stand in, for, in the Golden Globes and, and do that. But the way she pulled all that together with just these lovely stories. We've just written a blog post on that on our uh, website, so if anyone's interested, have a look. Yeah. This has already had millions of views of the YouTube video of her telling that story, yeah. and people are going wow how amazing it is but it really is important to understand why it's amazing it absolutely is an amazing speech but when you understand why it's amazing it really helps bring out the fact that every one of us can use that yeah so that's a little bit about you know why that story works is there anything in there that we could do to make that story even better like for example i stumbled over the guy's name if i if i could get that a little bit better that for me i would have wished i could nail the fact that's his name paul o'neill Look, uh, I guess high stakes, Yeah. Um, maybe adding in one of the examples that he might have shared about somebody being killed or injured. Yeah. Right. Uh, bringing, uh, you know, bringing strong emotion into it. Yes. Uh, of course, you know, there's a, always a cost, you know, risk return uh, ratio, a cost benefit. You know, the cost is adding too much, uh, adding length to your story. The benefit yep. is you increase the stakes. Yeah. But that's one potential way. Yeah. Where would you use this story? No, this is... Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, I intend to use it this afternoon because yeah. I'm talking to a CEO about his strategy and they've got six strategic choices, which is too many. I'll be able to tell that story and go, well, here's a guy who's made a tremendously successful business just with one choice. So maybe there's an option here. of having Coming fewer. down at least to four? Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly. I'm not arguing for one. No, 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 but, no. But uh, just to highlight that... Six is too many. Six is too many. I mean, really, people, they should be getting down to, you know, three. Two or three. You know, that's what they... The problem... You know what the problem is, I reckon, in a lot of strategies is that they're trying to cover off on all the elements of their business. You know, they might have six divisions. And so they're thinking, oh, we need to have one strategic choice for each... That's not a strategy. That's... I don't know. That's just sort of kowtowing to the organizational structure. Your strategy should be your big bets. Should be like, right, here's our challenge or here's our opportunity we want to get over here maybe we should bet on doing these two things yep people don't do that as much as you would imagine yep Uh, we need to uh, provide great customer centricity a great place to work we need to deliver our business effectively i know and and we value our people yes of course yeah yeah that's right that was in there not quite a strategy so the key thing you're sort of using it for is just the fact that it's important to focus on smaller number of things to get something done. Uh, that's there. Yeah, so that's, that's one, the base. That's one, one one application yeah. that uh, that I can see immediately. Uh, I could use that story for the one that I could. I would add to that is just this idea that if you focus on one thing, it can have all these flow-on effects to so many other things. I think Charles Duke called it a keystone habit. That's what they're doing. It's that block of stone that keeps the bridge up. And has the impact across all the, the full span, if you like, of the river. And I suppose that's what these single things can do. And I reckon this is a conversation I'm going to have with the uh, construction company, especially to their executives there. You know, what is that keystone thing? They want to, they do want to change their culture and, you know, sort of make it one which uh, has a whole range of improvements. But I could easily see them trying to do the six things or even the 10 things or the 12 things. And it's just not going to work. And I think that's a great application of that story as well. And as you were saying that, I was thinking, you know, another application of that story is just encouraging people to follow their own path, to make their own choices, because all of those brokers in the room have an expectation that things are done in a certain way. Yes. And this CEO just went, well, I'm going to do it my way. And just imagine how many people were saying, you're wrong. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And he could have easily just caved to that and just done the normal thing, but he stayed the path. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, just be careful who you listen to because the groupthink isn't necessarily the best approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, that idea that, you know, we easily cave into this idea of being reasonable. Now, let's be reasonable. You can't just focus on just safety. You know, how, how can we just focus on safety? That's crazy, right? Yep. And all of a sudden, people get on the bandwagon and that sort of starts to build over time. And all of a sudden, you're back to the old system. So imagine the, I don't know, the, the fortitude that CEO must have had to keep focused on that one big issue but the thing is who who would argue against saving people's lives and and uh, not having people harmed at work i mean god that's well yeah no one would argue against no. it i guess they'd be arguing against having that as you, as your singular focus yeah that's right yeah so again a really good application of that story yeah so what do you reckon then for that story we like to give it a bit of a you know rating out of 10 you know for usefulness and impact and well for today the yeah. uh alcoa story what do you think I'm going to give that 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. All right, okay. Yeah, I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10 as well. I find it a quite a useful story. No one falls over and just goes, oh my God, that's amazing. But it does the job. It does the job. It's got great utility. Yeah, yeah. Without being amazing. Yeah, exactly. And, and I guess you know, that's one of the things we want to encourage people to focus on. It doesn't have to be about amazing. No. This idea of becoming an effective business storyteller. Find stories that have utility. They don't have to be amazing. They don't have to be sagas. Fantastic. Well, I think it was a good time for us to wrap up. We've been a bit longer today. You know, we talked about the story bank, etc., plus the story for the day. But I really encourage everyone to, you know, get onto iTunes, you know, sort of give us a rating. That helps just to get the word out there. You can find both Mark and I on Twitter. I'm on Sean Callahan. Mark, you're, where are you at these days? Mark A. Shank. Mark A. Shank. Right. Yeah. And the A stands for? I'm not saying. <laughs> ah, right. So there um, you go. We'll have to work that out later. Yeah, that's a little test. That's a dark secret. Yeah. Good. Righty. Come. So ask questions, provide comments, and yeah, we really look forward to you know joining you again in a week's time and uh, exploring yet another story. You know, I guess for us, we just want you guys to get out there and find these great business stories and really put them to work. So good luck out there. Mm-hmm.